Well, I hope that you, like some of us do, are having a holiday weekend. And I hope that during, if you do, that you get some rest. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, and look down to verses 28 through 30. We'll read some of the most beautiful words in all of Holy Scripture. Red words. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Saints, just be reminded to those who will come to him, Jesus of Nazareth, the Savior of men, offers rest. Soul rest. There's a blessed experience often experienced, shared by the people of God in the public reading and exposition of Scripture. They often experience, as it were, a washing. A washing by, of, as by water of the Word. A soul washing, soul cleansing experience. Have you experienced that? Have you been in a Bible study and you felt refreshed, cleansed, blessed, rested after you studied the Bible with brothers and sisters? Well, I I pray that today when you leave the assembly of the saints, you might feel rested. You might feel refreshed, revived, recharged, revitalized. In His gracious invitation, Jesus says, Come unto Me. And He offers a gift. And the gift that He offers in this particular text is what? Rest. Rest. Uh, I submit to you this morning that if you have not experienced soul rest, you haven't come to Jesus. Because He gives it. And I submit to you this morning that this invitation from Jesus has not been retracted. Listen, He still offers rest to weary people who come to Him. And and friend, let me just remind you, I know some of you have evangelical fervor, and I'm glad about that. And I do too sometimes. It comes and it goes. But let me remind you, all we can do is point people to Jesus. He's the one with all the answers. He's the one that can provide rest. We creatures, listen, we were made to be image bearers of the Creator. And we need rest. You know that the Almighty has need of nothing. God doesn't need anything. He has no needs. But if we say that we have need of nothing, then we're deceived. 
like those saints at Laodicea who could not see that they were wretched and blind and poor and naked. They said, we have need of nothing. They were wrong. In Genesis chapter 2, the Holy Scriptures tell us concerning the creation, listen, the heavens and earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended His work, which He had made, and He rested the seventh day from all His work, which He had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it He had rested from all His work, which God created and made. Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. So listen, God has need of nothing. So he didn't need to rest. And he didn't rest because he was tired. But he did rest. He stopped his work. He ceased his labor and he sanctified, that is, he set apart a day of rest. He rested not because he needed to, but to show us something that we need. We need rest. We need rest. Concerning His Father's work and His rest, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made for man. Mark 2, 27. God didn't need it. It was made for man. In the beginning, God created And He made man, and He made woman, and He gave them dominion over the fish of the sea, and the fowl of the air, and over cattle, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And He planted a garden, and He told the man, and He told the woman, get to work. Get to work. Dressing, multiplying, subduing, replenishing, keeping, get to work. But even then, even right at the very beginning, in addition to all this activity, the working God showed by His own pattern the need for rest. For regular, recurring, cyclical times of refreshing. Friend, you can say, I don't need it. I'm in good shape. You need rest. You do. Do you know what happens when you don't get enough rest? I think the first symptoms are emotional and psychological. When you don't get enough rest, you feel tired. And when your body gets tired, what I'm told is that your emotions get moody. And when you get moody, you say things you don't really mean. Things that shouldn't have been said. Things that after you get some rest, I wish I hadn't said those. Is this just me or has anybody else ever experienced this? And listen, I think you know that if you don't get enough rest, you'll actually begin to experience physical problems. You could fall asleep at the wheel, and that could be disastrous. But even if it's not something as cataclysmic as that, 
a lack of rest has been linked to all kinds of physical maladies. Do you know this? Obesity, diabetes, headaches, seizures, and a whole lot of psychiatric problems have all been linked to a lack of rest. And the doctor may tell you, you need to rest. You're like, what? That's not helpful. You need to rest. He means it. People don't want to hear this. You, you need to rest. As a matter of fact, depriving a human of rest, especially sleep, is considered a form of torture. Do you, you know this? And it's often been used as such. They put them in a cell and every time they start to nod off, some buzzer goes off and the person just goes nuts. So listen, dearly beloved, here's a question for you. Are you getting your rest? Are you getting enough rest? In Psalm 127, a psalm probably written by David for his son Solomon, the psalmist writes, It is vain for thee to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Psalm 127, verse 2. Did you know that a good night's sleep is a blessing from the Lord? The Holy Scripture declared that plainly. A good night's sleep is a blessing from the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, listen. Jesus came to save His people from their sins. And Jesus came to give rest to the weary. And so... Here's a question. Has he? Has he done that? We thought about this some last Lord's Day, but I want to think about it some more. Please turn to the Apostolic Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 4. Hebrews, chapter 4. And we, we've, we've been there for several weeks, so you'll remember this. But remember that at the end of Hebrews chapter 3, the apostolic writer has reminded his readers about those ancient Hebrews who perished. They fell while they were wandering in the wilderness. They never made it into the promised land. They never made it to rest. And with that in mind, look there in Hebrews chapter 4. He says... Let us, therefore, fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them which heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, And they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. 
Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying to David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor or strive, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Well, I hope you saw when we read that, that the apostolic writer there draws between a, a, a relationship between faith and rest. He connects those, faith and rest. And listen, those who fell in the wilderness didn't enter into rest. Why? Because of unbelief. No faith. No faith. Verse 6, that's verse 6. And the writer wants to make sure that we, his readers, don't follow that example. He doesn't want us to fall in unbelief. He wants us to believe and to rest. And so then in verse 9, he says, there remains, there's still out there, there remains a rest for the people of God. You know, please listen. I, I believe we will lose much of the blessing of this passage if we superficially transfer all of its meaning to some future state. There does remain a rest for the people of God. But please hear me. I say I believe we will lose much of the blessing for us right now if we assume that the writer here is only speaking of something in the distant future. But that's what will happen if we read, oh, there remaineth the rest for the people of God. And we see that as only referring to a future rest of God's people after the sorrows and troubles of this life. Now, listen, surely we believe that in the Christian's death there is rest, don't we? We say they have entered into rest. And don't we believe that Judy and Cindy and Marcia are at rest? We do, friend. We do. The saints that have passed on are said to, quote, sleep in Jesus. Paul speaks of those who are asleep in the Lord. And he's speaking of those who have passed on, those who have died and as they await the resurrection of the body and the new heaven and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness they are asleep in Jesus precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints writes the psalmist in Psalm 116 verse 15 asleep in Jesus blessed sleep from which none ever wake to weep. I saw that on a tombstone. And it's engraved now in my mind. 
In the glorious vision that John recorded in the book Revelation, he writes, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow after them. Revelation 14, verse 13. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord, that they may rest. So listen, of course, certainly there is a rest for the saints in their death. Of course there is. That's a truth proclaimed all throughout Holy Scripture. But I don't believe that that's the primary rest That's not the primary truth that the writer of Hebrews is trying to get at here when he writes, there remaineth a rest for the people of God. You see, if you examine the context of the passage, you see, please listen, you see that it's ultimately faith, not death, that is the door of entry into this rest. Did you see that? It's faith, not death, that's the gateway into participation, into entry into this rest. And if you study the passage, you'll see that within the larger context of the letter to the Hebrews, this is part of a section of the letter where the writer is asserting the superiority of Christ, of Jesus, to Moses. The superiority of Christianity to Judaism. Moses, Jesus, Jesus is better. Christianity, Judaism, Christianity is better. Old Covenant, New Covenant, New Covenant's better. I've told you about my three-word summary of the book Hebrews before, haven't I? Jesus is best. And as he teaches... That old system, that old covenant held out a promise of rest. But it was only a promise and the old system, the old covenant never delivered on the promise. And the writer quotes David from Psalm 95 to show that David sees the ultimate rest of God's people was lacking. In verse 8 he says, If they had really gotten the rest they needed from their entrance into the promised land with Joshua, then David wouldn't have talked about there being another day of rest. But you see, if they had gotten it, got it, done, promise fulfilled, time to move on. They never got it. So David said, there's got to be something else. And we know that the apostles consider David a prophet. Peter tells us plainly in Acts 2.30, David, comma, being a prophet, prophesied. So the writer here says, David didn't consider the promise of rest to have been fulfilled. So since the promise wasn't fulfilled by Joshua in the entrance to the promised land, does it remain open? Or did it fail? Right? That's the question. If they didn't get the rest that God promised, does that mean the promise of God failed? 
Well, here's, the, here's another way to frame the question, friend. Listen. Shall faithless men make the promise of Almighty God of no effect? Who do you think you are? Faithless man. We may, we must, Christian friends, we must answer strongly. God forbid. May it never be. Our God has never lied. Well, brothers and sisters, you need to understand the writer of Hebrews is very zealous to make sure that we understand that the promises of God have not failed. They have not failed. You may have misunderstood something you read, but that's not God's problem. That's a fault in you. I hope you're convinced. I hope you're convinced that the rest that remains to the people of God here is not ultimately the rest that they experience in their deaths. But listen, if it's not that, then the rest that remains to the people of God is the same kind of rest that God promised to the Jews. The rest that they did not get, that they did not enter into because of unbelief, because of no faith. Well, think with me. The Apostle Paul and the writer of Hebrews are completely united in their theology. They are just all up on the same page here. And what they teach is that the Christians have inherited the promises of the Jews. Do you believe that? The Jews are the seed of Abraham, right? And Paul wants to be sure that we understand our status in Christ. You know, that's a phrase that is used of us repeatedly, of Christians. They are people that are in Christ. In Christ, blah, 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 blah. In Christ, there is no male, no female, right? In Christ, in Jesus. So here's another question. Are you in Jesus? To the saints of the churches in Galatia, and listen, Galatia was a Roman province filled with Gentiles. To the saints at Galatia, the great apostle Paul writes, you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Do you get it? So now they're in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Galatians 3, verses 26 through 29. What promise? All of them. All of them. That's why we say the Christians have inherited the promises of the Jews. Inherited, heirs, those are connected words. 
That means you're, you're now the heir. You're the one who's getting the inheritance. You. Who? The ones that are in Christ. Why? Because you're Abraham's true seed. Who is Abraham? He's called the father of the faithful. The father of the ones full of faith. You, Paul teaches, you Christians, you who have faith in Jesus, you who have been baptized, identifying publicly with Jesus of Nazareth, you are Christ's. You are Abraham's seed. You are heirs. Heirs of what? Of the promises. Who are the promises for? Christians. Saints, do you see? You see, this is why I say Judaism is a dead religion. It's been absorbed, overtaken. We are the seed of Abraham. We, friends, are the true Jews. We who have been circumcised in heart. The ancient promise of rest, listen, this ancient promise of rest, it has not expired. It has not expired. It's been revalidated and extended. And the promise is to us. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And He says, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ says, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I, I am, I will give you rest. Preacher, are you saying that the rest promised to the Hebrews of old, to the seed of Abraham, is being inherited by Christians? Exactly. Yes. Yes, exactly what I'm saying. We who are Christ's are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So the promised rest, the ultimate promised rest is for us in our Savior, in Christ, in Jesus. Saints, please stay with me here because the apostolic writer is a deep, deep theologian. And if we're not careful we can miss another proof that the divine rest is the birthright of Christians. When I say birthright, that means, why do you get it? Because you're an heir. Why are you an heir? Because I'm a daughter. Because I'm a son. It's mine. It's my right by my birth. What birth? The new birth. In verse 10, we're still in Hebrews 4, he says... For the one who has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now listen, it's a truth that we who are saved by the grace of God rest in the finished work of Christ for us. That's true, isn't it? But if we're not careful, then we can read our reformed presuppositions onto this text and think it's an argument against salvation by works. But listen, Paul wrote this, or the writer to the Hebrews wrote this way, way before the reformers had to confront Rome about the heresy of salvation by works. Uh, it, when I was in sixth grade, 
my sweet little Catholic teacher, Miss Phelps, told me, if you're good, you'll go to heaven. That's what she told me. And if you're bad, you'll go to hell. And I learned a lot of Roman Catholic theology right there. But that's not what this is about. Who is it that has entered into God's rest here in Hebrews 4.10? Well, it, it wasn't those that fell in the wilderness. So who was it? And beloved, I believe it is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the one who's entered into God's rest. The Bible teaches that when He, that is Jesus, finished His glorious work of redemption, He led captivity captive and He gave gifts to men. When He had by Himself purged our sins, He ascended into the heavens and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 1 verse 3. What did He do after He finished His work of redemption? Jesus did many, many wonderful works, but it is not works, plural, that are in view here, but work, singular. And what was Jesus' what was Jesus' mission? What was Jesus' ultimate work? And I mention this to you often, but I only do that, friend, listen, because it's so important. The ultimate mission of Jesus was not healing. The ultimate mission of Jesus was not social justice. The ultimate mission of Jesus was not good works or teaching truth or reforming Judaism even. His earthly father Joseph was given the ultimate work, the mission statement of Jesus by the archangel Gabriel. And the archangel Gabriel told Joseph, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, which means Savior. For he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, 21. Friend, every one of us ought to memorize that verse. That's the ultimate work of Jesus. He did a lot of wonderful works. But the biggest, the best, the primary one was to save his people, that's you and me, from our sins. And dear beloved, dear beloved, listen, any gospel, any quote gospel that does not carry as a primary feature the salvation of sinners, it's not the apostolic gospel. The great apostle Paul says, I delivered unto you first of all that which I received, how Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15.3 Paul says, I got the Gospel, but let me give you the first thing, the primary point. Salvation from sin. So the primary work of Jesus was our redemption. His most important work was saving us from our sins. And on the great and terrible day of the Lord, there outside the camp on a mountain shaped like a skull, a mountain called Golgotha and Calvary, 
on a day when there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became as blood. On that day, our Savior hung betwixt the heaven and the earth, nailed to a Roman cross, and He cried out with a loud voice and said, It is finished! And the Bible says, The veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And friend, redemption was accomplished. His work was done. Work. That work that Gabriel proclaimed, it was done. How do you know? Because he said, it's finished. The finished work of Christ was our redemption. And He finished it. He completed it. Just as God finished His work of creation. And after God finished it, what did He do? He rested. And I believe, Hebrews 4.10, Jesus entered into rest. He has finished His work of redemption just as God finished His work of creation. And He enters in to rest. Beloved, listen. This is the great proof that there's rest for us. Not because Judaism didn't bring it, but because our Savior has ascended. And we have a great high priest who has passed into the heavens and said, It is finished. And he's entered into rest and now is seated at the right hand of God. What do you do after you're done with your labors? Take a seat. Take a seat. Rest a while. He's entered into rest. A rest which according to the Apostle parallels the divine tranquility when God rested after the creation of the worlds. And brothers and sisters, listen. Seeing that He that is our Savior, possesses this rest, surely we will possess it if we possess it in Him. So then, do you see what the writer says in verse 11? He says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. And do you remember that glorious invitation that we read from our Savior when we started? He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And isn't it ironic? Come here and rest and rest in a yoke. What's a yoke for? You use a yoke to work. Can you rest while you're working? If you're working for Jesus, it's rest. There's work to do. There are battles to fight. There are rivers to ford. There are seas to sail. But 
the true Christian labor is simple work. And it just involves a faithful coming. And friend, that's why I say, if you've got evangelical fervor, three words, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. Two words, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And to those who are laboring and heavy laden, Jesus says simply, come to me. Come to me. Some ask Jesus, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Lord, we want to do right. What do you want us to do? What, what, what should we do so that we could work the works of God? Jesus saith unto them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. John 6, verses 28 and 29. What do we do? We want to do something. Believe on me. Beloved, do you see? Our work is to believe. They fell because of unbelief. No faith. What are we to do? Have faith. I testify to all of you here that can hear my voice. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will come to Him. Because His offer is just too good to refuse. And listen, if you don't believe, you won't come. And listen, if you won't come, you know why you won't come? Because you don't believe it. Who would not want this? The Savior spoke with a group of Jews who did not believe Him about who He was. And He said to them, The Father Himself, which hath sent Me, hath borne witness of Me. You have neither heard His voice at any time, nor seen His shape. You have not His Word abiding in you. For whom He hath sent... Him you believe not. Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of Me. And you will not come unto Me that you might have life. John 5, 37-40. Why wouldn't they come? Because they did not believe. So brethren, do you see, there's another edge to this sword. It's a two-edged sword and it cuts both ways. And one soul will be damned and another will be saved. There's another edge to this sword. There is a state other than rest. And it's the state of those who do not believe on Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And in a horrible description of those damned by the Almighty, I I read, listen, listen. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest. Day nor night. Revelation 14, 11. No rest. No rest. No rest. That's a horrible phrase, friend. No rest. There is no rest, saith the Lord, for the wicked. Isaiah 48, 22. So brothers and sisters, listen. 
just a, a brief reminder. Let me remind you what we believe. It's so simple, but it's so, so profound. Believe. Come. Rest. Have life. Everlasting life. Don't believe. Don't come. No rest. No life. We which have believed, we which have believed, have entered into rest. Hebrews 4, verse 3. Dr. Grady Cook, would you dismiss us, please?